this is Michael Howard from Eden Place Nature Center. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. <laughs> Subtle, but okay. I'm trying. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will. Good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Clean beaches. He's gone deaf in 20 years of answering gardening questions. And she. Uh, here they are Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Have forests, no wetlands, will. Good planets are in demand. Gotcha. I don't oh, have yeah. to fade it out. I'm just helping out. <laughs> see, every time I talk, then see Ben panics and he, and he brings the fader down. It's like, no, no. And I said, what if I want to listen to this music for about three or four more minutes, Ben? Plot it right back up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> nah, get that out of there. Get that out of there. So the uh, the task of the day. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is just sliding down. All righty. The task of the day is to figure out how to get rid of a GIF that you don't want to see. Or GIF. I prefer GIF. Uh, but I've been corrected by, uh, you know, younger folks. Oh, no, that's a GIF. Why? Because the, the isn't that peanut butter? The G is is soft because there's an I after it, but it's a isn't it an, an abbreviation which makes it an acronym which makes it a GIF? Do you know? Do we have a dinger? There we go. <laughs> Do we got another one over there? Did you get them out? Whoa, that's ugly. What happened there? <laughs> Man, uh oh, that's, that's nasty. That's mine. What happened here? Okay. This, it, it got gift. It got gift. Oh man! So I got this gif that showed up on my Twitter feed, uh, on my uh, tweet deck, and it's just repeating over and over and over again <laughs> every time I go there. And they don't let you delete the tweet. Oh, and that's a really nasty one. I know it's a dumb one, and yeah, I oh, see you can see that. Just uh, ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> Are you? Are yeah, you looking? I'm at, trying know, to make it go away. I know. Make it go away. That's all I want is please make it go away. Please make 21st century technology go away right now. I could share it via email uh, to everybody, to the whole world. You could send and a say, direct message to her, or just say, "Would you please delete this?" <laughs> okay. And I don't know. Was it even directly sent to me? I have no idea. No. Okay. No. Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on my Twitter feed, so most people probably can't even see it. And who cares? Uh, welcome. Welcome to the mic. Oh, look at that. We are live on Facebook, on Facebook this morning. And So if you go to Facebook, to the Mike Novak Show, you can see Mike trying to fix trying the dinger. Trying to fix the dinger. What? I think it got smushed in, in, the, in the dinger box. 
Eh, it's, it works. It's better. Yeah, but that's not mine. Oh, yes, it is. That is mine. Okay. So why does mine get... There we go. That's better. Anyways. All right. Uh, that's all the time we have. Good night, everybody. <laughs> it's a show for dinglings. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, I can see we got a couple of people looking at us live. Hi, Kathleen, Kathleen Parrish, Ed Can. How you guys doing? Good morning. Um, and the rest of you just, uh, you know, on 20th century technology. <laughs> and in the studio have uh, somebody who's been here, not been here for four years. Um, and uh, that is Allison Parker from Radical Root Farm. We're going to be talking to her in just a second with Lisa Kiverest. Um, who is the person who wrote Soil Sisters. I don't even have a copy of the book anymore. I had to give it to a friend who said, I want that. Let me read this. I went, okay, sure, you got it. You know, and that's that's what you want to do best is, uh, I mean, that's the best thing yeah, that can happen is you get a book along. like that and pass the book mm-hmm. along. Because uh, Lisa wrote that last year, and it's about women farmers and really cool stuff. Uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. Soil Sisters and In Her Boots and different events that are coming on because it's summer and that's what you guys do. And Allison uh, will tell us about flooding in her yeah. farm, <laughs> which is in uh, Libertyville. Um, and about uh, the event coming up at your farm uh, in August. Uh, so uh, that's going to start the show. We're going back out uh, to British Columbia to talk to Dave Scott. We hope one last time mm-hmm. who's been uh, involved in these wildfires out there. Well, he's been kicked off of his property, but he's back. He's back on his property. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the second hour, uh, a brand new I – don't, I don't even know if you can call it a segment, but Michelle Hoffman, who was on the show just a few weeks ago with Rick Tamayo – She's a professor of marine science and sustainability at Columbia College, Roosevelt University, and School of the Art Institute. She's a filmmaker. She's an author. Um, she's putting together this film called Microcosm, which is supposed to be released next uh, year. Uh, and there's some co- some cool stuff happening with that. Um, she, I, we said, we want you to be our science reporter, and she said, okay. And so she's here today. How cool is that? Uh, so, uh, Michelle Hoffman will be in here and we'll be talking all things science, but especially about the Gulf of Mexico because she's planning a trip there, partly to see what's left, um, after the, uh, uh, Deepwater Horizon <laughs> catastrophe in 2010. It ain't over, folks, uh, but there's also good stuff, too. And then finally, Elaine Curran's, uh, will be on the phone. She's, uh, editor and publisher of our Urban Times about a really Byzantine, planning zone thing in the city of Chicago that nobody knows about, but that's moving along. Stick around. It's all coming up. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free of ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and other treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths, including the non-toxic Cezanne Keratin Smoothing Treatment. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for Women and Men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. No longer have to sacrifice one for the other. 
Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is open now. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll get a head start on the season. Mike and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. What is this anyhow? This is your talk. This is America, Jack. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. to be on Facebook Live to have seen that one. Uh, I think there's blackmail in my future. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show. And I got to play this song, obviously, because a uh, little respect for our women farmers out there. Let's uh, let's give a ding to uh, all the women farmers out there, including the one in the room, which is uh, who is Allison uh, Parker, and the one on the phone, who is uh, Lisa Kiveris. Lisa, you with us? You got me live from Wisconsin here. Okay. <laughs> Some, one of these days, I'm going to make you come down to the studio, uh, be right here live with uh, everybody else. But I know uh, you're a busy gal, and uh, we're, we're fortunate to have Allison here because she's a little closer than you are. Uh, Lisa Kiverist, uh, if, if you follow the Mike Novak show, uh, she's been on the show several times, uh, going back several books every time. Mm-hmm. But you don't have a new book right now, do you, Lisa? Well, the Soul Sisters book came out last year, so I need a little, <laughs> a little bit of time. I would imagine. There's some farm projects i got to finish still, yes. I would imagine. How's, that, how's the book doing? I imagine it's still doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten really good response from women that it's the resource they've been looking for. We are growing in number, but we need more connections, and particularly women in more isolated areas and rural pockets where they're not meeting other women mm-hmm. like we will at Allison's place on the 24th that uh, <laughs> these kind of things help. So, yeah. Yeah, you, you're good at your PR as well. That's, that's great. That's, that's always good. Just sneak in the dates and the times and the places is a good thing during our conversation. Yeah, that book is called Soil Sisters, a Toolkit for Women Farmers. We talked about it last year and about some of the issues that women farmers face. And you're a do. And there's also there's Soil Sisters, the book. There's Soil Sisters, the event, um, which is in its sixth year. And it is coming up. Uh, uh, not next weekend, but the weekend after that, right? August 4th, yep, August 4th through 6th. Yeah, and it's a big deal. I was looking at all the stuff going on with Soil Sisters. It's up in Wisconsin, and it's a celebration of, of women farmers, and uh, you get to see farms, and you get to just do all kinds of stuff. I don't know how you keep track of everything. It, you might as well 
be doing um, a circus or something. It's just (laughs) (laughs) it's a bit of a palooza. You're right, Mike. We have been doing this now for six years of opening up our barn doors and farms (laughs) and inviting folks up for the weekend. So we have over 20 women farms involved. We're all in the basically the south central area south of uh, Madison, the Monroe, Greene County area. So an easy day trip from Chicago if you want to come up for the actual tour, which is Sunday, June 6th. That's not June. <laughs> There's my summer. Sunday, mm-hmm. August 6th, uh, <laughs> where we have uh, farms open free to the public. And then there's a variety of other workshops and culinary events throughout the whole weekend. Yeah, it just goes on and on and on. And if folks want to be just come to just part of it, they can do that as well, right? Oh, sure, sure. That's the whole idea. You can plan your own farm adventure if you want to learn how to oh, uh, start your own food business. You can come over here and do some barn board painting as well in the afternoon. And we have a lot of on-farm food events for those wanting to sample and learn at the same time or just kick back and have a fun, relaxing day out in the country. So uh, that's one thing. And by the way, how, how many folks do you have show up for that? Do you have any? Oh, last year we had over 1,000. Are in you different ways, me? you know. So wow. it's uh, you're not going to have the crowds you see at urban events because we're spread out throughout the county. We like whoa, to... whoa, 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 whoa! I get a thousand people. I'm a really happy guy when I when <laughs> yeah. I yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. but not yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, maybe we're not talking several thousand, but come on, a thousand people to go up to uh, rural Wisconsin and visit farms. That's that's pretty impressive. It increases our population in Browntown here for the day. We're at, you know, 212 on a good day. Uh, And in the studio, again, as I mentioned, Allison Parker, uh, who's with Radical Root Farm in Libertyville. Uh, She works with her husband, Alex uh, Needham. Uh, on an organic vegetable uh, and small livestock farm. Hi. And, Hi. <laughs> and Allison was uh, on my show. We were figuring this out in 2013. 2013. Okay. So that's four years ago. Um, so it all comes back around. We all, we, 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 we drag them back in and make them, <laughs> make them do the rounds and tell us how they're doing. So, okay, let's use that as a starting point, Allison. What's sure. changed in four years? Yeah, that's a good question to think about. Four, four years ago, um, I think we've honed in on a little bit. Uh, well, now we actually have uh, we have goats. That's a new addition. So it's a very we're starting a very small milking herd um, at our farm. Um, now, okay, I'll stop you right there. Okay. <laughs> goats. The addition of goats to a farm. Is that a whim or is that something substantive? No, that's something that I've sort of um, been wanting for a very long time. So actually since we started farming, I, when we used to work on farms, I worked on a raw milk dairy goat farm um, many, many years ago. So mm-hmm. that was always a dream of mine to have eventually have that. So, um, so yeah, it's basically like uh, it just uh, our you know, my obsession with like, creating even more of a connection to our food and just like uh, producing as much food um, as we possibly can on our farm. So it just kind of goes <laughs> along with that, which I, I really like goat's milk. And so, uh-huh. so is yeah. It, is it, uh, is that stuff uh, easy to sell? Is is it their market for it? So we're starting very small, kind of trying to see what, um, how we're going to do it. It's going to start just like a small family herd and then hopefully have like a small, uh, maybe go into like a small milk, share herd um after that with like a few other uh 
numbers. Yeah, but but so. is there a demand for this? There's definitely a demand. So it's all about right now. It's all about getting through like the logistics and mm-hmm. um, raw milk laws. Here are you know in Wisconsin they're a lot more strict, um, and here they're a little less strict. But it's really? still okay. We're, we're trying to kind of we're starting very slow, so we're being careful to. But yes, there's definitely right when I I knew right when I posted the goat's picture on Instagram, I would get a lot of um, questions about uh, raw goat's milk getting it. So um, so yes, there's definitely a desire for people to. We don't it. we don't have the same response on Instagram here. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'm, if we put some photos of goats. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. If we did. Yeah, try G- that. GIFs of goats. There would be, that's what I'm afraid would happen. I'd have these GIFs that I wouldn't be able to delete on, on Instagram. Uh, and you are also going to be part of some of the festivities in the summer. Um, and you've got uh, a, a, an event called In Her Boots happening yes. at your farm. But that's not till later in August the 24th. Right. right exactly. uh, tell me about that. Yeah. So I was really excited uh, when Lisa asked me to um, be a part of that because I find I went to an In Her Boots workshop last year um, and I found it super inspiring. And actually, the reason why I even won is because I used to do lots of farm visits all the time when, when we were just interns on farms. We would go to different farms, sort of like get inspired by these different farmers, like talking about how they did certain things. And um, and since we started farming, we kind of stopped doing that. So it was sort of like recharging my batteries to like mm-hmm. go to this other farm and like hear them just speak about, you know, things they did differently from us and to get like new ideas and new inspiration. And um, yeah, it just sort of, it sort of made me feel like really excited again about um, different things. So, um, so yeah, I was really excited when Lisa asked me to be one of the uh, people to do the workshop. So, and sort of share our story and how we do things in our farm. Um, And, you know, I get really excited about talking about, farming and just food and um, environmental things we do on the farm and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was really just uh, it was something that I was really and I'm, you know, a big fan of Lisa's, too. Yeah. So, so, so I, the, the In Her Boots workshops kind of cover a, a wide range, either for people who are just. Well, Peggy, you, you went yeah, to one I, last I went to year. one last year in uh, Grace Lake. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it definitely. um it's sort of like there's something for everyone. So whether you don't have a farm at all mm-hmm. or even just think maybe you'd like to maybe start like a small farm one day yeah. or if you're already a farmer, um, there's really something – there's there's so much information and so much good stuff to hear um, about these farmers' paths that they yeah. – where, you know, where they got, how they got there and just uh, – yeah. It's just, you go down – you look for the big tree, go down the dirt road, and that's how you get there. No, you look right? for the big carrot. <laughs> oh, the big, yeah, ca- oh, the big Casey, carrot. Casey Farm. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly, yes. So so there's a giant carved carrot outside of there, the Radical Root Farm. Yes. So, yes, we uh, we farm on a – we rent land from a conservation organization. They save this farm, essentially, from development. That We um, talked about that, that last year. It's, is it – it's Casey Farm that um, Conserve Lake County. County. Right, Conserve right. Lake County, right. right. And they uh, they did that carrot. So their idea was to make this dead tree. <laughs> you had into, nothing to do with the carrot. Okay. They, they wanted to do the dead tree into like a, a fun sculpture. So they actually got a chainsaw artist, which I didn't even 
realize was a thing. Oh, and then yes. They... Are you kidding me? Of course. They... In fact, we, uh, next week we're going to have six or seven chainsaw artists on the show displaying uh, their words. I know. So ignorant about it. So anyway, yes, they got they have a, a very nice landmark for us. So people mm-hmm. will look for the carrot now when they try to find our farm. Okay. So uh, that That is uh, Allison Parker. Lisa Kibberis is on the phone. Now, now the idea here is to try to... Figure out how all of this works together because you've got Soil Sisters, which is one deal. You've got uh, the In Her Boots uh, events, which are they're related but not exactly the same. You've also got your your help from the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service or MOSES. They're involved in this. Uh, you've there's there's just a lot of stuff, Lisa, going on. How does this all tie together? You bet. Well, the bottom line is there's never been a better time for a woman with a dream of wanting to start a farm to to jump in and get her boots on (laughs) because with all of this cross-pollination and organizations supporting and farmers themselves like Allison saying, hey, come on over, let me tell you how I did it and what I would have done differently, it's a great time. So that's the In Her Boots workshop at uh, Radical Root is actually part of a series that we do throughout the summer with Moses. Moses is the Midwest Organic Sustainable Education Service, which is really the mothership for organic farmers here in the Midwest. Allison and I and so many uh, have been touched by Moses in so many ways as a resource to get our farm businesses up and running. So uh, within Moses, we have our Rural Women's Project, we call it, which is basically a farmer trainer initiative for women specifically, where we do things a little differently than traditional farm training, Women, in particular, are very collaborative in their learning process. So when you go to Allison's, even though it's at her farm and people want to meet her and see what she's doing, you'll quickly see, as Peggy saw last year, it, it's very interactive. And we, we approach it with this idea that any woman coming has something to share and something to learn, and it's very much in that circle learning model. So we have um, uh, four of those throughout the summer, and this is our one in Illinois, quite close to Chicago, as Allison's in a unique situation with being in Libertyville mm-hmm. and and being where her market is, literally, and the challenges and opportunities with that. Uh, and uh, uh, things, I, one of the questions I was going to ask you is... Uh, we talked last year about about the book, and you write this wonderful history. You know, I was refreshing myself by, by going through and, and seeing what I wrote last year, and it reminded me of what you put in the book, some wonderful stories about the challenges faced by women, especially who want to do organic farming over the last few decades. And I assume that since last year, everything has been straightened out and you guys are all accepted and ready to rock and everything's great. Right, Lisa? We fixed everything. That's what I figured. Okay, good. Okay. Right. Well, it's interesting because, yes, there's this hot new movement of women farmers and we make up one of the fastest growing groups of new farmers, particularly driving organic and sustainable ag, which is fabulous. But we come from complicated roots in that... The Ag Census, for example, which is really the document that drives our agricultural policy in the United States of how many farmers are there and what are we growing, et cetera, only started counting women formally in 1974. So a lot has happened in the last couple of decades to catch things up, and I give the USDA a lot of credit in that 
issues in the past have been recognized and we're trying to fix them, but we still have a long way to go, particularly in the agriculture industry overall that, yeah, is still primarily male-dominated. So we're a very vibrant <laughs> pocket, but the next step to after we get more women farming and we get more women growing with businesses is amplifying that leadership voice, too, from a policy perspective. So mm -hmm. we may be growing, but we're not growing in that percentage when it comes to farm bill representation, for sure. Mm -hmm. And that would be a game changer. Uh, that's Lisa Kivris uh, with the Soil Sisters uh, in the studio. We have Allison Parker from Radical Root Farm. By the way, if you want to join in the conversation, hey, maybe you're uh, a woman who's interested in starting her own operation, uh, 847-475-1590. We've, you know, these are the, the experts. These are the people you want to talk to. They're right here because mm -hmm. they're out there doing it right now. Uh, and, of course, Lisa, you also have a, an in at uh, your farm. We do. At In Serendipity here, we have a small bed and breakfast farm stay. We did that from the get-go because we really love having people on the farm. And the bed and breakfast and the whole diversification aspect is a real keen uh, interest, particularly of women. I, I, I bottom line think we just are the type of people who like to have different things going on and are creative and like to see that cross-pollination. So the whole agritourism element of farm stays and on-farm dinners and events and workshops and ways to both bring people to the farm but also do it in a strategic business way that helps your business succeed financially and keep sustainable is an important piece of the pie. Well, I want to continue the conversation when we come back, 847-475-1590, if anybody wants to give us a call. But I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty, what's going on in 2017, what you guys... I mean, I want folks to come out to these events, but I want to talk about your operations, too, mm -hmm. uh, because we've had a lot of rain and other stuff. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We shall be right back. If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. That's because you're missing out on not only the garden magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state -state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. Now back to the Mike Novak Show, full of knowledge. Well, if, if I know so much, how come I ain't rich? <laughs> Some of the uh, wealthiest people are the ones with the least amount of money, Mike. Oh, I, can I write that down? Yeah, that, that's, that's yours. You can use that. Here they are, Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki. And that's our uh, buddy. You guys need to be interviewed by him and... Uh, that's uh, Joey Baird and Holly Baird uh, do the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. Are you familiar with them, Lisa, by any chance? Yeah, yeah, oh, great uh, job. 
Good. You you need to be on their show. Both of you guys uh, need to be on their show. They uh, are terrific. They now have their own radio show up in uh, Wisconsin. I don't have it right in front of me, but if you go to thewisconsinvegetablegardener.com, you can find uh, their information. Uh, but meanwhile, this is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy <laughs> Malecki, and I hope a few of you are listening and enjoying our conversation with Allison Parker and Lisa Kiveris. Let's start with you, Allison, because you run um, Radical Root Farm um, in uh, Libertyville. And as we know, that's been almost ground zero for how much rain? Do you, ha- you have a rain gauge out there? Do you do. Know how much rain have you gotten out there? Um, so the really, the worst night was we had seven plus inches. And then before that we had a, a few inches. So it was already pretty wet. Then we got the seven and a half mm-hmm. inches and then we got maybe three inches like a couple nights ago and or what's, something. What's that done to your fields? So it's not great. Um, we, uh, we probably have maybe two acres that we're kind of writing off. And when you say writing off, yeah, for the season or for right now? No, it's probably we're just going to lose all everything in those two acres. So, what, what had you? What was planted there? Um, so it's part of our part of our tomatoes. No, um, yes, I know, but we have uh, our other tomatoes. Hopefully, in a much better spot than mm-hmm. worse that we were watching carefully yesterday, and it looked like it was okay um, in this other section. So. Uh, we'll have a lot less. I mean, last year it was just like we had so many tomatoes; yeah. it was insane. So it's going to be the opposite this year. But so um, your business model, though, is is farmers markets and CSAs, right? So when something like this happens, what do you do? Yeah. So, so like I said, about this time of year, uh, we're sort of usually kind of bursting with tomatoes. Um, we were able to harvest um, a. A fair amount of tomatoes, and we just put them in the CSA. So we just had them in the CSA. We did not have any this week for our farm stand or farmer's market. Um, so mm. uh, so hopefully we're going to be harvesting this week, and it will look a little mm-hmm. different, and we'll have more. Um, that's what we're hoping but we're just we're kind of in like a wait and see mode almost. Yeah. So you know the you know some plants like I said look a lot better than others. Mm-hmm. We have one bed of cucumbers that looks looks terrible because it's been under standing water for so long and then we have another bed of cucumbers that actually looks really healthy and yeah. good and very vibrant and bushy and green so um so yeah i mean hopefully we were we were trying to be sort of strategic this year about different placements of different vegetables yeah. and trying mm-hmm. to we're you know every year we've kind of like gotten to know our land a little better um we were a lot better at cover crop this last year so i think that helped a lot and um, that helps a lot with like soil aggregates mm-hmm. and just like being able to handle a lot of water um in different areas so um so yeah we're trying to we're trying to farm as smartly as we can in order to you know i had this last newsletter i wrote all about i wrote all about um farming in the wake of climate change and just how it's like just another challenge that we're going to have to sort of learn to deal yeah. with. Um, so, and, yeah. and you'd mentioned to me when we were talking before the show started that you've got some partnerships with other farms so you can be bringing in right. some product. Yeah, and- exactly. So that's that's right. Yeah. So, um, so you know, we have in our farm stand, uh, in our, our barn, which we have every week, we have um, a sign that says... You know, all all our veggies are all our vegetables are grown out here unless we have a shortage or something, then we'll buy it from another local organic farm yeah. that we're you know, you know, or friends with and 
um, and we'll bring that in if we don't have. Uh, and I assume you're certified organic. Yes, we are. Uh, and by the way, we got a post here on Facebook from Pauline who says, Radical Root Farm was named one of the 50 best farm stands and the best one in all of Illinois by Organic Life magazine two summers ago. <laughs> wow. Wow. Good stuff. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> question back for Lisa. Sure. You know, on that whole topic of dealing with climate change, dealing with weather extremes, how is Moses in the Rural Women's Project and frankly in her boots helping to work with women farmers to share ideas for how do you deal with this? Right, right. Wish there was one magic wand, but Allison really addressed sort of the core tenant of the organic farming community, which frankly I personally think is our biggest weapon when it comes to fighting climate change, is that collaboration and the fact that we all have independent businesses, but we work in such a cooperative spirit, and we realize that when when the water rises, all of our ships will rise in this case, or, or, or some things may flood, but we'll help each other out. And the story she illustrated of being able to rely on other farmers and likewise they rely on her is what gets us through these tough times. Uh, so that's important. And that's, too, you see in just that sharing of knowledge. The spirit of the In Her Boots workshops is exactly that, of sharing what we know and doing so in that authentic spirit that it will help others. And when we grow the movement, uh, that happens. It's interesting here in, in where I am in Greene County, Wisconsin, there's a couple, about maybe, I don't know, five years ago, eight years ago now, we were the only bed and breakfast farm stay in the county. And now we have four and counting of actually women-run farm stays. And wow. I was having that discussion with our B&B guest. Actually, I could tell they had stayed in the area the night before, and I was just trying to ask them where to stay, and they weren't really telling me. And finally, I got to study. They were stayed at Chris Marion, Circle M Farm, and they were a little embarrassed, like, what, we stayed at your competition? I'm like, she's my best friend. Do you understand? <laughs> I told her everything, you know, I knew to help her get going. And when there's more in this case, more farm stays, and you're looking from Chicago where to go to stay for the weekend. If there's only one, it doesn't mm -hmm. look very exciting, right? But if there's four, hey, this is the place to go. So we really thrive mm -hmm. in that multiplicity. Uh, and, and speaking of specifics, uh, how is the weather and other conditions, uh, how have they treated you this year? Yeah, well, we definitely shared that same storefront as, as you all did. Uh, pockets of our area were hit worse than others. We're on a bit of a ridge, so our growing fields are okay, but we got some in the good old farmstead, 100-year-old basement, so uh, we're uh, <laughs> glad we got that second sump pump. <laughs> That's a strategy against climate change. Well, <laughs> it's it, mandatory now. Right, except for with you, you know, that's your inn, that's your bed and breakfast. This is so, that's a big deal for you, isn't it? Oh, totally. We were just lucky we didn't have guests when we were failing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, actually, that's what I was going to ask you is, has it affected you think that the, because every time I look up, every time I look on a radar, I see storms rolling through Wisconsin. And I think, is that every day? It, it, it must seem like it's every day. We've had a really rainy week. And it seems, it, it, you know, those times in the summer where you just have all that rain. And when you're out in the country, everything is just humid and sticky and buggy and mosquito-y mm -hmm. and 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 so I think today actually is the first day I can hang some laundry out and we can dry out a little bit and get get back on track with a couple cooler days coming up too. But that's part of the the what do you want to call it? <laughs> the joy of farming, right? I mean, yeah. well, you have to be somebody who 
both can live with and I would argue thrives in those unknown variables because it's always yeah. like this. Yeah, it, it's more extreme on each end, but weather is never a cookie cutter, just how you want it uh, pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I imagine that, uh, like anything, when you live in the city and you do what you do, you have your coping mechanisms, and you live out in the farm, you've got your coping mechanisms as well. And and you're nodding, Allison. Yeah. What's your coping mechanism out there? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I, uh, years ago, used to get a lot more stressed out about weather and this, and now I feel like I'm at a place where I, you know, just need to sort of deal with it and just like not if if i'm gonna be a farmer i can't Mm -hmm. be stressed every single time it you know rains hard so (laughs) yeah Yeah, but i'm stressed every single time it rains hard (laughs) in the city because i know my basement is gonna flood so that's that's part of what goes on right it's true and i think that i mean that's you know every year we sort of try to like do things better so um like i said we've been really trying like the cover crop i think it's been really helping um just getting that deep cover crop into our soil and enriching the soil and also um, creating like a better better tilth basically mm-hmm. um, and things like that where I just like I'm I'm always sort of researching yeah. things and and one of the interesting things that that I also was reading about your farm is you're trying to incorporate a lot more um, permaculture yeah a lot more right forest right. type of an exactly. approach yeah so, so what else involved with that yeah so that's something that um, that I think has been sort of also my mission too mm-hmm. is to um, incorporate more permaculture in general. Um, and I have a, like a permaculture section right now, and it's we've sort of been slowly um, kind of doing more permaculture things on the farm. So, so. what does that look like for you know different crops in the yeah. same land? So uh, um, in the permaculture section on the farm, it's uh, it's basically what they call what permaculture people call a food forest. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's basically like using forest architecture and mimicking nature basically to grow crops instead of like a traditional. So instead of like a, so our fruit tree, instead of a traditional straight line orchard, it's, uh, it's, it's creating, um, more of like a, a forest, um, sort of setting. So, you know, we plant the trees in sort of staggered areas. We plant perennials along the base. We'll do, um, different plants, different uh, herbs and things like that that sort of surround that. And so it's basically what, you know, it like a, in a forest you'd see like stacking and packing mm-hmm. is what they call it. So it's like the high trees, the lower bushes, you know, the really low lying uh, plans, things like that. So. All right. Well, we're, we're running out of time here, and I want to make sure we hit the uh, event for two weeks from uh, this weekend. One more time, Lisa, tell us a little bit about Soil Sisters and what folks can do over three days. Sure. So that's coming up August 4th through 6th, and it's Soil Sisters, a celebration of Wisconsin farms and rural life. We're actually a project of the Wisconsin Farmers Union, so there's a lot to do all weekend. We're actually kicking off the Friday of that weekend with the same format we're doing at Allison's, at In Her Boots workshop at Circle M Farm. My my friend Chris Mary and I mentioned who's doing the farm stay now. So a lot of women come to more than one because you always get a different flavor, but that's more of our day intensive for women wanting to start farms. On Saturday, we have a variety of Green Acres workshops 
we call them on anything from fermenting to pesto making to bread baking on farm around the area and different culinary events, a farm-to-table dinner at Dorothy's Range with Heritage Hogs. You can have pizza here at In Serendipity. And then Sunday is our big farm tour day where we have seven women-owned farms throughout the area. Open, free to the public, 11 to 6. Make and a day trip, you can come on down. go to MikeNovak.net for all the information. Thank you both, Lisa Kivris and Allison Parker. Thank you so much. Women farmers, go out there. Going to have fun. We'll be right back. Your family and pets spend a lot of time in public parks, schoolyards, and on your own lawn. And you want those grounds to be not only beautiful, but safe. Logic Lawn Care is an Evanston company with a decade of experience successfully creating beautiful lawns naturally. Logic works with homeowners on the North Shore and also with schools, park districts, and cities across Chicagoland to manage large turf areas naturally. Get a free estimate. Go to LogicLawnCare.com or call 847-421-6500. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. just play all women's music this morning in honor of uh, our guests and uh, Soil Sisters, etc. In the second hour, as we mentioned earlier, Michelle Hoffman will be here at the science desk. I almost hit the bell. Uh, And uh, she'll be, uh, this is going to be kind of a a regular thing with her when she's she's not in her scuba uh, gear and uh, under the ocean. Watching glowing plankton. Right, watching glowing plankton. Uh, She will be with us. We're trying to get a hold of Dave Scott right now. He told us that he would be with us, and and I'm, you know, it's earlier there. It's uh, 7.50 in British Columbia, so it's quite possible. And maybe, you know. He got home yesterday. You told me, Peggy, that you saw uh, a video. From yeah, him. he did a Facebook Live. So Dave Scott, uh, Spaced Out Radio, out in British Columbia with all the wildfires, um, had been out of his home for the last couple of weeks. And he did a Facebook Live where he was just coming back to his house. And it was very emotional for him. Yeah. I, I, you know, and what I was thinking is if we can't get him, I'm going to his... Uh, Facebook page, maybe we can just play a little bit of that video that he did. Of course, he's got all the spaced out stuff there now already. Yeah. Well, he was walking up to his home. He had his, you could hear his son in the background going, wow, the house is still there. (laughs) Everything around his home was fine. Um, I can't imagine how bad it must smell of just smoke lingering in the air, but he was... Very, very relieved after a couple of weeks of, of not being allowed in his home. And he was, one thing he was showing was that uh, the local town, somebody 
had a checklist on every door. Welcome home. Here's some things for you to do. How cool. So it, and, and I'm looking for it. Now, I don't see it uh, at all. He's. Uh, do you know when, when he posted that? Um, I'll find it. Because I'm looking for it. and you, I, you talk, I'll look. No, 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 no. You talk and I'll look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, there it is. There's, there's, well, that, see, I see the one he had, uh, not his, but he had these two guys. They look like the reporters, uh, British Columbia reporters saying, it's uh, safe to come home, eh? And uh, and they were uh, in a, in a, in that video, which is pretty amazing, of the British Columbia reporters telling people it's safe to come home already has forty five thousand views. Wow! <laughs> I didn't realize there were that many people in that area of British Columbia. So there it was. So at at any rate, the the point is that uh, there are still wildfires. I was I was looking this up yesterday and seeing what's going on. Uh, Australia, I think I mentioned this on yesterday's show. Australia is sending folks um, to uh, British Columbia because there are still wildfires burning there. Uh, this morning, I heard that uh, Yosemite has a huge fire that is still an issue. So it's it's not changed. And Rick DeMaio yesterday on the show said that the pattern, as far as he could tell, was not going to change a whole lot. We're not scheduled to be deluged this morning or tomorrow, uh, but in general, it's wetter here and drier there. Uh, there's heat in the Pacific Northwest and in the West, mm-hmm. and uh, we're having our rainstorms come through. Are you, were you able to find it at all? I'm still looking. I uh, see. It, it's not there. He must have removed it because I, I couldn't find anything well, like I'm checking that. Spaced Out Radio to see if he had actually posted it there. Oh, because uh, I, don't, I don't see it on his own page. But uh, yeah. we're happy that Dave uh, is back home. Back uh, home safe. And I'm sorry that he's not with us this morning. And I just uh, sent him an IM and, eh, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's... He's got other things he's dealing with, I'm sure. Well, I just saw, you know, again, going back to the whole climate change and what we'll be talking about with Michelle next hour, um, just announced 2017 is well on the way to being the hottest year on record. Yeah, I saw that. And that's odd because apparently, you know, it not being an El Nino year, folks are surprised. Yeah, yeah. it said it took them by surprise. uh, I saw that the other day as well. So. Yeah, that's uh, those uh, are the times uh, that uh, we live in here, folks. Um, and uh, Shanghai had its hottest day in 145 years. But so that's all tying into the wildfires and these, this constant jet stream being pushed up, dumping the rain on us and keeping everything else dry. And it's, yeah. But yeah, surprise, um, Scientific American, surprising scientists... It's according to Salon, we are now the second hottest year on record halfway through the year. That doesn't make any sense, uh, except if you understand what's going on in our world. And that's and that's why uh, Michelle is going to be here this morning. You know, I know she's going to be talking about ocean stuff, which is really cool. Um, that will be a lot of it, but it won't be all of mm-hmm. it because she is uh, she teaches all kinds of different stuff. As we mentioned earlier, at uh, universities in the area, and I'm just trying to see here um, some of the stuff that we had up there. Wow! And I see your your map that you put up that Rick DeMaio told us about yesterday, which is uh, the rainfall that's uh, 
come down in uh, Illinois. 12 to 14 inches. Above, yeah. n- above uh, normal. And as we pointed out yesterday, the Chicago area normally gets about 35 inches. So if you're 12 inches above that, that's fully a third mm-hmm. uh, more rain than you normally get. Okay, so that's that's a significant amount of rain. Yeah, and, and a lot of the suburbs are actually already doing something about it. I just saw something that the Glenview trustees this week agreed to a $7.7 million flood mitigation plan. Mm-hmm. They're bringing in the Army Corps, and, and just from what I'm seeing already, there's a lot of the suburbs that are going to start doing that. They're, they're, they're not going to wait for someone to come up with a plan. Uh, one of the things that we posted uh, this week on the Mike Novak Show on Facebook, and you can find it, you're going to have to scroll down a little bit, maybe we can bump it back up, is a petition that our buddy Mitch McNeil from Surfrider Chicago sent us. Um, uh, and it is a petition to shut down Line 5 under the Straits of Mackinac. Uh, and uh, as we've talked about on this show before, there's an oil pipeline that goes underneath the Straits of Mackinac. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? And uh, the uh, there's been a controversy over it, whether it should be upgraded, what should happen to it. Um, a number of people, I'm one of them, think you shut, you just shut it down. Mm-hmm. You just don't, you don't, you don't take that chance. And I don't care if you got to reroute it around the world, go to China and back. Yeah. Um, my feeling is you don't mess with the greatest fresh water supply in the world. End of story, right? But no, the, the, the argument will be, well, it's never caused a problem before. Yeah, because, well, it's now 63 years old or something, that yeah, line. It's, it's 60 years old. It's Enbridge. And, gee, it's a company who spilled a lot of oil into the Kalamazoo River a- many ask, times. Ask the people at, in Kalamazoo if, uh, if they trust that to be there. So what you can do, what we should do is we should bump that petition okay. up. Let's get it to the top. I'll move that on up. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because I actually got emails from National Wildlife Federation this week, signed the petition. Uh, several other groups signed the petition. So it's gaining momentum that enough's enough. Time to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another thing that, that we posted last week, uh, and, which is scary, yeah, here's just the headline alone is scary. It was in the Atlantic. Half of all the plastic that has ever existed was made in the past 13 years. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, which remind you know we, what we should have done? We should have done a recap of our, our because we have three people in the room who were at uh, a couple of professors talking trash earlier this week, and that was really fascinating stuff. Uh, uh, Steve Corey and Carl Zimring were excellent, and uh, well, we don't have time to talk about it now. Michelle Hoffman is next. Stick around after No Name News. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. 
Mark Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Whenever my head starts to hurt Before it goes from bad to feeling worse I turn off my phone, I get down low And put my hands in the dirt I try to stop the world from moving Okay, so welcome back try to, get a grip on to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And in the studio, let's roll that. Uh, let's bring uh, Mraz out of there. And uh, and we are three, two, one, boom. Live. Live. Live on Facebook because uh, we have a visual aid here. Well, first <laughs> of all, there there's Michelle Hoffman, the inimitable bull, bull uh, Michelle Hoffman, who uh, has... This is her first appearance at the science desk here on the Mike Novak show. And she, she, if you if you look on Facebook, there's a really cool picture of her. She's got her microscope here. She she dragged in her microscope. I mean, hold that sucker up so people can actually see. It. Don't drop it now because it's what 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 do you think uh, that goes for? Uh, you've even got it plugged in, don't you? Uh, well, yeah, I'm ready to go. Bring, uh, bring in your stuff. Maybe we'll have listeners send in stuff for me to look at. <laughs> I love that idea. Uh, anything you got, just be pop. careful what you ask for. <laughs> There's a guy showing up at the door right now. Hey, I once listened to a law professor spend a whole lecture t- asking about whether feces is a life. Is a life or alive? A life. I think he was mis- mingling his words. He, he needed to get a life. <laughs> now, the question I got to have, I have to ask you, is because I don't carry a microscope around in my car. No, you don't. Uh, is this your good one, or is this the like uh, the on the road version of your? Microphone? This is an on the road version we use for lectures. This is the sort of stuff we use in the classrooms, um, you know, basic college classroom type setup. Because if you took the real one from school or, or wherever from the lab, <laughs> mm-hmm. you would not be invited back. Right? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You've got radio in a box. She's got lab in a box. So, yeah. so how how uh, far can you see? I mean, how how how? What's the um, What's the word I'm looking for when you look into? <laughs> What's the magnification? Mag- magnification. This Thank one you. has 150 times magnification. Oh, that's not very. It's much. not very high. I'm thinking like 10,000 no. times. So we need 10,000. That would be the expensive kind of microscope oh, I get in trouble for right. absconding. With. 150. So what can you see in in a microscope like that? Actually, you can see a whole lot of stuff. Um, we can see fairly small cells. We can see some mm-hmm. of the basic components of bacteria, which are some of the smallest cells that we look at. But uh-huh. we won't see a whole lot inside of them at that point. We'll see cell wall things like that. So. So do you see a lot of the critters? 
that I see on your Facebook posts for a microcosm? You could, actually. They would, yes, you can see some of those with this. But we prefer to use a dissecting scope for those, not because we're dissecting them. We are not dissecting them. I want to be clear about that. But dissecting No scope. microcosms were uh, harmed. <laughs> they were not harmed in the, in the making, making of, of our this work. Film, yeah. <laughs> we can just fit bigger dishes under the dissecting uh-huh. scope with water in them so we don't kill them. Cool. Yeah. All right. So I... I feel like we need to put something under there so we can just see what's going on. So, Give me a hair. I can do somebody's hair. Uh, <laughs> we'll do crime lab. Uh, that sounds great. Uh, or what's in that vanilla? Whatever my, my, it is. Well, we'd have to ask Starbucks. This could be proprietary. I'm not oh, sure. Boy. That's true. We, could, we don't want those molecules to be shown on uh, on the radio or on Facebook Live. Uh, but the point is that uh, after uh, Michelle was on our show several weeks ago, we, we contacted her and said, you know, you should do this regularly. You should just come down here. And she she's so dumb. She said, OK, yeah, that sounds like fun. Uh, so she's kind of our first in, I hope, is a line of different reporters. Science reporter Michelle Hoffman, welcome to the Mike Novak Show. Thank you for having me. Uh, and uh, so, you know, when she's in town, which is not going to be all the time, but you have to teach sometimes. So, I mean, that's your day job. Uh, the uh, the fun one is going on the boat and jumping in the ocean and looking at stuff there. And we're going to talk about that mm-hmm. in just a couple of minutes. But when you're not doing that, we want you here to put some perspective into the science stories that we talk about. Because that's what you do in the classroom, isn't it? That is what I do. It's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And it's not just oceanography. Nope, it is not. I teach sustainability. I teach a water rights class because I have a background in law as well as science. So um, I, I always forget that you're a lawyer. <laughs> Don't too, call. Oh, that's a dirty word. No. Yeah. Just What's, kidding. What do you call ten thousand lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> Good but start. I'm, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a joke that combines your two interests. That's hilarious. It really it's, applies it's, to me. It really. <laughs> <laughs> what do we call Michelle Hoffman at the bottom of the ocean? Happy. Uh, oh, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say a good start, but okay, yeah, and happy. So, yes, but uh, then we'd lose our science desk editor. So, when she's here, she is going to be uh, at the science desk, sometimes with the microscope, and sometimes, sometimes not. Um, but that's okay. Um, and uh, we're going to comment on. Uh, I mean, we were. Uh, you should have heard the conversation before we went on air here about. Uh, vaccinations and all that. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you anti-vaxxer people, you're idiots, okay? I'm just going to let you know. And that puts, what's her name at the top of the list? Um, <laughs> Gwyneth. Gwyneth Paltrow. You're an idiot, all right? <laughs> I'm just letting you know, okay? Um, and uh, go away. Don't, don't, uh, I mean, I don't care if you're in a movie. That's wonderful. And, and, and again, I don't want to paint with a large brush. I'm not saying that all actors don't have, can't have opinions. Just dumb opinions are not really welcome. Uh, anti-science. What we worry about is founded in science and fact. Yeah. And uh, vaccinations, you know, just remember, I, I think of my childhood running around in the water and, and the kids would all yell at each other, don't get polio. <laughs> wow. That, how uh, the world has changed, hasn't it? Okay. Uh, so when we come back, you're welcome to uh, give us your science questions at 847-475-1590. I know you can see her eyes. Go, Wait a <laughs> second. You didn't tell me I was going to have to answer questions. <laughs> Well, you got to answer them from us. So, Michelle Hoffman at the Science Desk on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, 847-475-1590. I cannot wait. <laughs> we'll be right back. 
Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is now open. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll have a head start on the season. Peggy and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free of ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and other treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths, including the non-toxic Cezanne Keratin Smoothing Treatment. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for Women and Men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. No longer have to sacrifice one for the other. You put your... You put your Think of it this as a metaphor. And you shake All together now. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That is my friend. <laughs> I recorded that. That is my friend Catherine Gallagher, who uh, who lives in L.A. now, uh, was not at the time, and she wrote this amazing musical, and that was one of the songs mm-hmm. in it, and that's my friend's doing a, a recording of the Hokey Pokey, and so I still play that uh, from time to time. But I think of that as a, a metaphor. You put your whole self in, mm-hmm. you put your whole self out, and I know you, Michelle Hoffman, put your whole self into everything you do, 
especially your film Microcosm, which you started, oh, yeah. started in 2013. <laughs> uh, you're still working on it. It's supposed to come out next year. I understand there's big doings, but you there can't. There are big doings. But you can't tell us. Not yet. I just soon. Keep, soon. I just keep volunteering, Secret. say, if you need a narrator at any point or, <laughs> or anything. It's I a mean, good offer. Yeah, you know. I'm, right I'm here. I mean, you got yourself a voice if you need it here, okay? And, and actually, Peggy has become uh, really good at the cold read. She's <laughs> she's really good at that now. So she's available too. I think she's got her hand up in the air. She'd like to. We'd all like to do that. So, but this uh, visit today to the studio is in anticipation. You're going to Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, when are you leaving? So I'm leaving Friday. Wow. Wow. Good. And uh, you're going to dive into the Gulf of Mexico. Oh yes, we are going to dive. We're going to dive. Um, the reefs, which is always a given and fabulous. We're going to be doing some shark diving, but we're also going to be doing this really cool type of diving called blackwater diving, where they drop you in the middle of the ocean at night uh, <laughs> over really deep water. Uh-huh. And it's to witness the greatest migration on Earth. Every night, the plankton comes up towards the surface, and you just never know who's going to show up. So you're just uh, drifting in the middle of the dark ocean at night. I saw the article that you posted on your Facebook page, Microcosm, about uh, a woman who had done this. And when you go into the ocean, you've got the lights and the equipment, and then you turn off all the lights. Yes. And she freaks out because, you know, and she said, actually, I'm safer with the light off Mm -hmm. because it's not attracting predators. Uh, But still... Being in this immense darkness, and then the plankton come, yeah. and they're glowing, and they're moving around, and 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 the one the person who took around the trip said, ah, this was a bad night, and she's <laughs> and she's freaking out, going, oh my god, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life, and we the get other, that a lot out yeah. there. Uh, do you? Oh yeah, you know, I mean, if you've never been exposed to this stuff before, and you're seeing this for the first time. The person who's done it a hundred times, their bad night is your phenomenal <laughs> off the charts great night, and I think that's real common in scuba. And I'm excited because my son is actually getting certified; he's only ten, so this is going to be his first oh, real nice. foray yeah. out into the ocean. And I just I can't wait to watch him experience what you just described. Yeah, well, take me with you. <laughs> hey, I... hey, come on with. We'll you take know, anybody who wants to come with us. Here's the problem: I would drown, and it would just be such a bummer. <laughs> we it wouldn't would... let that happen. <laughs> oh, to you. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> so, tell me, what when you see these, what are you seeing? So there's a whole lot of different types of things. Some of the plankton is large. People are under this misperception that plankton is small stuff, but plankton actually means floating. So that could be hmm. really huge jellies. See, I always thought it was all tiny stuff. You're not alone. I'd say that's pretty common. And uh, Or an angry guy from SpongeBob. Gwyneth Paltrow thinks it's all <laughs> tiny, okay? I'm just letting you know. <laughs> In her world, or, it might be. <laughs> but uh, we, we see all kinds of animals. Some animals that are planktonic their whole life, so they live out their whole life cycle that way. But one of the really cool things you see are juvenile forms of other things. So ah. really itsy-bitsy, mm-hmm. minuscule, microscopic things that become sea stars or become corals or become larger fish like marlin. They start out really tiny. And they're uh, feeding? Yeah, and they look like nothing like their wow. adult form. And so, you know, you're seeing really these alien creatures that but, are not but, what but, we recognize. But are they all glowing? No, not all of them are glowing. Um, some of them emit bioluminescence. Some of them borrow light and are capable of, of refracting it out to create color. So not all of them are bioluminescent, but it is a really common form of communication in the deep ocean. So that's what it is. It's communication. Oftentimes. And, and what mm-hmm. kind of commun- – what are they communicating? Uh, I, I need food or I need sex or – All of the above. Uh, <laughs> directions. Or, I made the wrong turn. It could be used as a startle, you know, yeah. to defend – a, a big bolt of yeah. light could be used to defend off a predator to blind it. So how many different species of plankton might 
you see in any given night. It's as good as your best guess. It could be. It could be really diverse. Um, some of it is seasonal. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it's really kind of a. Are you roll talking of the dozens dice. or thousands? Either or. And it depends on what um, level you take it down to, because I'll mm-hmm. be using plankton connect- collection nets. So things we can't see with our eyes uh, could be a whole different hodgepodge of stuff that I'm taking in with collection tools that we'll then put in tanks on the mm-hmm. boat. So it depends on how small we're going to go. You know, whole end of the spectrum, probably at least hundreds of species. Mm-hmm. So how do you prepare for a trip like this? <laughs> you want to come over and see what I'm trying to pack? <laughs> um, it's it's challenging because we're not only packing all of the camera gear, but we're packing all the science gear, too. So I've got to bring the microscopes. I've got to bring the pipettes, the you petri dishes. Right I've got one right here. This is a little different than the ones we use. but um, So, yeah, it's a real thing. I've got an official pack list for these mm-hmm. trips because I had just done the Socorros, too. So we actually pack most of it in these giant coolers that we can you know close up with zip ties, and that's the best, most so efficient way. So let's say you forget something can't you just go to like the university of florida and say can i borrow a microscope it is possible um we'll be working with folks at the university of miami while we're down there and so they've offered you know very generously Mm -hmm. to share their lab space even to take some collections for us for some of the animals they want to talk to us about so that we can get them under the microscope so it is possible but we certainly don't count on it and being in the Arctic last summer, we couldn't just sort of ask Amazon to uh, to drone it in for us. So we've gotten used to being Why self-sufficient. Not? I mean, they're, they're, I'm sure it's on the way. They own the world now anyway, <laughs> yeah. so it, it doesn't matter. I mean, once it, you take over Whole Foods, you own the world. So. so so when you go on a trip like this, what what is... What are some of your goals? You know, what are some of the outcomes you're expecting? So in truth, we've been preparing for this trip for several weeks because I've been reaching out to professors at the University of Miami, uh, organizing phone interviews, getting background on the research, what they're working on, Mm -hmm. framing in my mind what kind of stories we want to pursue, which ones I think will lend themselves to, you know, the the message we want to communicate through the film. So that's what I've been doing is, is mostly preparation for that. So now I have a really solid idea of the types of stories that we want to pursue while we're down there. Yeah, but uh, one of the things that you and I went back and forth on, and I put it on the blog, and I don't know if you saw that, was our conversation. We had an IM conversation on Facebook, which was just a stitch, uh, uh, because uh, uh, Michelle writes to me, holy hand grenades, do I have a story for your show? Did some preliminary interviews for Florida, and the Deepwater Horizon disaster is far from behind us, five exclamation marks after that. And I, you know, and and we go on and I said, let's see if I got this right. Due to gross negligence and reckless conduct, BP spills 5 million barrels of oil into the Gulf of Mexico, killing untold wildlife, not to mention 11 humans, and changes the ecology of the region probably forever. They plead guilty to 11 counts of manslaughter, two misdemeanors, and a felony count of lying to Congress are fined $18.7 billion and yet probably because they're still indecently rich and well-connected and can buy off people, there's no particular attempt to allow scientific studies to be done in the Gulf, which would likely show that the damage is greater than anybody imagines. Did I get this right? And she's like, yeah. And here's here's the caveat to that as well. This was during an, ad, uh, an administration that was actually friendly to our environment. Can you imagine what's going on now? So is part of what you're doing down there to look at, at these creatures and see how they've been affected by how many, you know, millions of gallons, five million barrels of oil? Exactly, Mike. And, and you know, one of the interesting stories that this amazing researcher was sharing with me, because this has been a, a big uh, 
focus of her research. She is, as many people who study plankton are, she's a physical oceanographer. So she studies the way that water moves and circulates because in large part that, you know, is how plankton gets distributed throughout the ocean. So, um, you know, usually those two disciplines are going to go hand in hand. So what she's been looking at is, you know, what happened to all the oil materials that exuded out into the ocean and also in addition to that what about the chemical dispersants they were using yes did they do their job um and the answer according to her is no they did not do their job so now we have two types of materials in our environment we have the fossil fuel materials that spilled out all over the place and it's compounded by these quote unquote dispersants which are largely untested on humans on seafood We have no idea what, if any, risks they pose. These are question marks. That's the important thing. We're not drawing conclusions that they are ultimately dangerous, but we know that petrochemicals are. We know they're carcinogenic, and we know they're turning up in coastal ecosystems. Okay, you know they're not necessarily dangerous, but let's look at this. Let's look at this from a a rational point of view here. We've got got these petrochemicals that we know uh, cannot be dispersed. We know they're toxic are very difficult to disperse. So you invent this thing that's going to be able to actually invade the petrochemical and break it up. What makes you think that that chemical you're putting on is not going to be as toxic, if not more so, than the actual petrochemical? Well, there's probably truth in that, but the science is out. So as a scientist, I have to wait until we mm-hmm. do studies and conduct and proper research. And that's why research. you're here, yeah. And so you're right. You know, precautionary principle says this can't be good. We're putting something that doesn't belong in the environment out there. On the other hand, what does that do? And And I would imagine we don't, even know. We probably don't even have numbers about how much dispersant was used. Well, actually, they do um, do have some information on that because I think, you know, and I also, we've been working very closely with the Coast Guard um, Mm -hmm. because they're the ones who put us up in the Arctic uh, with the University of Alaska. So they've been great partners, great friends. And um, one of the fellows that I work closely with does these environmental impact assessments. And, you know, he was telling me that because, you know, this was not an oil spill per se. This was a massive rupture of a wellspring at the bottom of the ocean floor. So this was unlike any other oil spill. spill. It was an eruption. And a lot of that stuff, a lot of that material got pinned down on the ocean floor, didn't even rise to the surface. So instead, it's becoming part of the bottom substrate Mm -hmm. and attacking the bottom or benthic environment of the ocean floor Mm -hmm. as well as the surface. So there's multiple dimensionality of how we look at a problem like this. And what my friend in the Coast Guard was telling me is you got to imagine what if they were trying to bail out Titanic with a water bucket until they capped that well? It just kept coming. Mm-hmm. It, you know, they could put the booms out and they could try to, you know, surface skim as much material as they wanted, but it just kept coming. So, I, think, yeah. I think there were actually a lot of us who understood that. Yeah. I think, uh, unfortunately, too much of the public did not. Mm-hmm. They, as long as it was beneath. Yeah, it mm-hmm. would almost it would almost have been better had it started spilling in the middle of Manhattan because mm-hmm. then you would have understood how much oil and is really there. And people would have, yeah, argued to do something about it. Right. Uh, well, I, I think they were at the time as well, but I just don't think well, the general public. folks w- weren't aware of the level of catastrophe mm-hmm. we were dealing with, and and, and Michelle just yeah. rolled her eyes. So, which and you. how persistent the problem is yeah. too that this is not going to go away anytime soon. So as you're you're starting to study to see what the effects are without getting into the real nitty gritty. How are you doing that? Well, there's a lot of scientists obviously working on this. And, you know, one of the real tricky things was that much of the reports, especially by BP scientists after this all happened, Mm -hmm. uh, couldn't be given over to academia and couldn't be made public because it was all part of litigation. 
for a good part of 10 years. So only now are the well, academics being able to— seven years because it happened to, in 2010. Right, uh-huh. right. So there you go, seven years. But the point being, they've only just now in the last mm-hmm. year, these uh-huh. scientists, been provided access to what the BP scientists were saying about, you know, were the dispersants, you know, doing what they were supposed to do? Um, is this stuff turning up in coastal ecosystems? So that these academics can then go back and check is what they were, you know, putting in these reports. Was this correct? Is this what happened? So they're going to have a long road ahead. This is just the beginning you know, of of looking back at this disaster and going, okay, well, what really happened, and and you know, what's going to be going forward. Mm-hmm. So, the, my question to you is, how is your work connected to this? Because you're going to be floating, you know, above where all that a lot of that oil dropped. You're going to be out in the ocean. You're you're not on necessarily right on the coast where you could see the effects of it. It seems like you're almost isolated from the effects of it because it, as you said, sank to the bottom or it went to the coast or it went. So these, you're finding this pocket of organisms that right now have managed to escape the catastrophe. It's Nothing the... has escaped the catastrophe. Okay. All right. <laughs> so this is where we start talking about things like bioaccumulation, biomagnification. So if, for example, some of my organisms were exposed to this stuff on the ocean floor, some other creature comes by and eats them, it's going to magnify up the food chain. So, you know, we want to say in the ocean, we always say us ocean folk, there is no such thing as a way. Because mm-hmm. it is as fluid <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> an environment. So when you throw something down there out of sight, out of mind, it ain't going to stay there. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to, it's residence time. How long it stays in the system is questionable. It's mm-hmm. different for different things in different places. Uh, but it, it doesn't go away and it does impact the system as a whole. So there is the chance to see mm-hmm. some of those impacts. Uh, you know, one of the things we have to talk about when we come back from the break here is uh, the. Uh, couple of professors talking trash, which we saw on Thursday, and they were talking about the amount of plastic. Oh, that's on our radar as well. Of course it Uh is, because you're diving in it all the time, and I can't even imagine what you see there that nobody knows about. I mean, you don't have to to dive into the middle of the Pacific uh, gyre or gyre to to know that there's a lot of plastic in the ocean. 100%. All right. That is Michelle Hoffman. If you got a question or a comment about oil spills, got one in your uh, backyard? <laughs> no! In, in your lake? Give us a call, 847 475 1590. 847 475 1590. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking about the oceans. Veggie Fest Chicago is back on August 12th and 13th. Be part of one of the largest vegetarian food and lifestyle festivals in North America. Veggies and omnivores alike will have a great time. There's a huge international food court, health professionals with advice for good living, food and cooking demos, a children's tent, live music with some of Chicago's best bands, more than 100 vendors, and it's free at Benedictine University, 5700 College Road in Lyle. Go to VeggieFestChicago.org. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good.
sing it, Van. Uh, truer words were never sung. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. For those of you who are on Facebook Live and watching us, you heard a really interesting part of the conversation. It kind of started with uh, Ariana, who's in the studio with us, uh, finding a... What's that uh, story you tracked down, Ariana? It's on CNBC.com, and it says, Much of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill has disappeared because of bacteria, and it claims that oil-eating microbes have consumed a considerable portion of the oil spill. So what does that actually mean, Michelle? So that is true that there are some organisms that are capable of metabolizing things. For example, we've seen that certain mealworms can actually consume and metabolize styrofoam. Um, But that doesn't mean that some of the components of those materials aren't harboring themselves inside of the organism's tissues, which is what we call bioaccumulation. So uh, different organisms can basically flush their systems better than others. A jelly, for example, is 97% water, so they flush things fairly quickly through their system. Um, But fatty tissues tend to harbor toxins. And so depending on the organism, the stuff isn't going away. It's basically being sequestered inside of the organism. And then the question becomes one of, well, something is going to feed on that bacteria. So how much of what that bacteria is harboring in its body is going to get pushed up the food chain to the next level. Right. You know, depending on how much it eats, that's then what we call biomagnification, which is why we see mercury in those top-end predators like sharks, tuna, things like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. uh, A number of years ago, I was talking to some folks about bioremediation, which is where you plant trees to suck up some of the toxins in the soil. Problem is, the trees absorb the toxins. So what do you do then with those trees? Probably the best thing is just keep them alive uh, because if you're going to destroy them, even if you compost or you burn, uh, those toxins are released. It's, so we've created these toxins, and at some point there's got to be an end game. Is there an end game for any of this? Well, you know, that's so variable from organism to organism and toxin to toxin. For example, um, you know, too much phosphorus or too much nitrogen, you know, can be problematic for an environment. They're sure. not inherently diabolical mm-hmm. toxic substances, but um, a tree can deal with those things a whole lot better than, you know— our waterways, for example. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really variable question that would have different answers depending on what materials we're talking about, what organisms we're talking about. So, you know, bioremediation is good. You know, we want to try to revegetate areas. When we rip out mangroves, we see terrible results for coral reefs, for example. So, you know, keeping those coastal systems intact is a really important part of maintaining coral reef health, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, cypress swamps are, are the same thing. Um, one of the things I learned early, I, you know, 15, 20 years ago, was cypress mulch. Everybody wanted cypress mulch. The problem, because and, and, and theoretically, it's because the heart of a cypress tree is some of the, the hardest wood you're going to find, and it doesn't break down. There are actually gutters that, from the colonial days, that survived and still transport water because they were made out of cypress wood. All right? That's cool. However, what we did was then we wiped out all the cypress forests, including along the Gulf. Well, that's where they were. Um, and uh, what used to happen is the Mississippi River would take all of the nutrients and the silt and even the phosphorus and nitrogen that you were talking about, and it would flow into these swamps. 
all right, and these trees would absorb the nutrients, and we had old growth, and it helped protect it from the Gulf of Mexico. What we did is first we cut down all the cypress swamps. Then the other thing we did, and some people think this is a good thing, which is we dug these channels through New Orleans so we could take all this water. Oh, my God, we can't have it pouring out in the countryside because uh, it'll, it'll, it'll create floods. Well, that's what nature had intended. Instead, we channel it all out to the Gulf of Mexico. So now we've got all this nitrogen, all this phosphorus. We've got silt, which has a ton of nutrients in it. And it creates these algae blooms in the Gulf of Mexico, which uh, these organisms die and they suck up oxygen and they create dead zones. And one of the things I discovered was it's not just the Gulf of Mexico. There there are more than 400 dead zones throughout the world. And it's any place you've got a river that's sending these nutrients out into a large body Mm -hmm. of water. It's not just that, and we're going to be looking at that while we're down there in Florida, too, are these harmful algal blooms, which are sometimes called red tides, yeah. but they're not always red. Uh, it depends on the organism that's uh, that's exploding in population, which is a, a form of dinoflagellate or algae. And so you're right. These these are Florida's not the only place. Florida's been very hard hit, though, and not only do they create dead zones, as you pointed out, as if that's not bad enough, uh, but they also are toxic themselves, so they're have responsible you, I, I, for major fish deaths. I, I, yes. Have you ever dived into a dead zone to see what's going on? Um, you know what? No, I really, I mean, no, I haven't dove into a dead zone per se. Mm-mm. I, I, I would be really curious about, of course, there'd be nothing there, right? There'd... Well, not nothing. There's always <laughs> something there. There's always something there. But one of the guys we're going to be talking to at University of Miami has created a really amazing method of profiling areas over large space like what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and instead of doing the traditional plankton toes and you know trying to drag to see what's there he's created a way to do optical imaging and acoustical imaging Hmm. which is fascinating and the reason he came up with these new technologies is because he couldn't use a microscope his eyes were just such that because microscope is really hard work Um, but he had some issues with his eyes and so he's come up with these new ways also tracing ammonia through the water column to determine how much life is there. Uh, so really interesting ways of profiling even bigger areas at a time. So we're going to look at his toys and tools while we're down there to figure out how we're going to do the next gen. I want to get to the story that Peggy was uh, talking about uh, during the commercial break. It was diving, not diving, boating, <laughs> sailing. Off, uh, sailing off of Houston. And it had to do with the plastics and stuff we were talking about. What was that, Peggy? So I was sailing a, a regatta in Houston Bay on sunfish, which are you know, 14-foot boats racing. Uh, and, and due to conditions, myself and a lot of other people capsized into Houston Bay, which is just loaded with oil residue, rust residue, and everything from the abandoned rigs and the little micro spills. And all you had to do was touch the water, pull the boat back up. Everything's covered in rust and oil, and it just leaves this film. The people who sail down there regularly have to be very careful. Because it, it's just so toxic. So what happens when you're diving and you're going through that stuff? It's just as horrible as you described. Because <laughs> um, I've experienced that. I have experienced that yeah. in different parts of what, the world what, as well. What precautions? There really isn't much you can do. You know, you try not to inhale too much when you're mm-hmm. kind of passing through those surface waters. When you're diving, primarily you're getting below it most of the time because, as you pointed out, it floats. Most of it floats. Um, but there just really leaves a isn't. Film. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had that in the Puget Sound. I've had that in the Bahamas. I mean, you know, you di- I've been diving for almost 30 years now because <laughs> I started when I was two. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, you, you end up seeing a lot when you're out there, you know, places I've dove for the better part of mm-hmm. 20 
20 years, how they've changed over time. And it, the changes are significant. And are you then seeing the plastics just at the surface, or do you start seeing them mixed through the layers? Plastics are pervasive in the ocean. And this is one of the things that we are hoping to reveal in this film, because most of the plastics are not even things that you see. Right. When I do plankton toes, which is using a very, very fine mesh net, you can actually choose the size of your mesh. But even um, some of the larger mesh that I've used, every single time it comes up with nanoplastics that you mm-hmm. don't see till you put it under the microscope. And mm. so, you know, it's been documented. Corals have been documented. The little polyps of coral have been documented eating nanoplastics. Um, so now the research is starting to reveal that zooplankton are, in fact, consuming yeah. that. So the next question is, how is that magnifying throughout the food? The well, nanoplastics, is- are those kind of like microbeads? Um, Not necessarily. I mean, some of them probably are microbeads, but when plastic resides in the ocean, you know, we've been putting plastic in the ocean since plastic existed because that's just, you know, what ends up happening. Well, we just dumped stuff. (laughs) Or it washed down from land and into the lakes. Or it, it, like, washed out of clothing and washed out of everything in your washing machines and into the water supply. It's true, but think about that plastic bottle that's been floating around for the last 10 years. It's not going to, you know, sometimes it stays intact, but it's also going to get smashed around by waves, mm-hmm. going to get more brittle over time. So it's going to break into smaller and smaller pieces uh, that persist. So they're there. You know, the, they've determined actually that much of our plastic in the ocean comes from land-based sources. It wasn't deliberately dumped out there necessarily, but that a lot of it, you know, was left on the beach at Lake Michigan and ended up in Lake Michigan and then washed down a river. And so there is no such thing as a way. I've said it once and I'll say it again. Uh, we say it all the time on this yeah. show. It's, you know, and that comes to when talking about recycling and, and composting and that sort of thing, you can't throw anything away because there is no away anymore. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it, it all has consequences. And it was interesting, and I keep referring to this uh, marvelous talk that uh, Stephen Corey and Carl Zimmering did on Thursday at Roosevelt University that uh, uh, Ariana and Peggy and I went to. And they talked about dumping, and I didn't realize that we were dumping in the ocean as recently as the 80s. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, off of New Jersey and those places um, where, and some of that stuff is still being dumped because they, they had exceptions, like for construction material. Oh, okay, construction material is okay because it's going to sink to the bottom. Or it can become habitat. Or this, right. Uh, well, let's throw a bus or a, a, a trolley car into the ocean because it'll become habitat. The U.S. military had a 40-year, or 50 or 40 or 50-year program where they were dumping all their leftover munitions, including uh, neurogases in the ocean. Mm. And other things. And, and this is what Steve Mustard and Carl gas. were, were mm-hmm. telling us is that it's... We're insane as a species. We're just and and, we're and it's it's an entire cultural shift because people have always dumped their things into rivers and into lakes before they knew better. Because you know. nobody like me is spending time under there, right? <laughs> but if you you know going back to the archaeological record, yeah, people just dumped they it did. into the lake and the river. But that's why you're out there, and that's why microcosm is so important. And I'm so excited to have you as part of the Mike Novak Show on the Science Desk. Uh, bring your microscope so happy to be here. every single time you come back. <laughs> um, and how long are you going to be down in Florida? 16 days. Okay. And so I figure in about a month you're going to come back mm-hmm. with stories to tell. That is just going to be fabulous. So uh, if people want more information, you can go to Microcosm on Facebook. 
Um, I, I what's the microcosm microcosm project on Facebook? Is it is it actually microcosm project on okay. Facebook mm-hmm. and yeah. on our own film website is www.microcosmfilm.com. And one of the important things that we posted recently, and this pertains directly to Florida, is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has put up a survey for anybody who's been snorkeling or diving. Uh, in the coral reef systems of Florida because they're actually trying to attach financial dollars to a healthy reef and tourism economy. Hmm. So they ask questions about how much you've been diving, where you've been diving, did you pay for boats, things like that. So important. So if you've been there, please do it. All right. Michelle Hoffman, thank you so much. Thank you. She's going to be back uh, as soon as we can get her in the studio. It's the Mike (laughs) Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. When we come back, we go into the city of Chicago to talk about zoning and planning and yeesh. You'll find out in a second. Stick around. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings Magazine. And for seven years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier, happier lives. Each month, our readers enjoy new information about integrative health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids and pets, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs, or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. What does Joe Walsh know about the city? That's what I want to know. Isn't he a country guy? This is the Eagles. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with uh, Peggy Malecki. Uh, and we're going to do this quick, go right to the phone and bring in Elaine Kurins. Uh, Elaine, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Uh, she is the editor and publisher of Our Urban Times. Elaine and I have known each other for a while. Uh, and she's been covering a story that uh, Peggy and I just kind of became aware of recently. And, and I think that's actually kind of one of the questions to mm-hmm. start with. It's about uh, rezoning and, and land use in the North Branch area of Chicago. You wrote an article, and you can find that article on my website, MikeNovak.net. Go to uh, the blog for uh, July 23rd. Uh, your headline is the North Branch Indu- Industrial Corridor Ordinance, another done deal. What's the rush? What is this? Who cares? And that says it all, Elaine, because I don't think there's a lot of people who know that this is even going on. And it's being rushed through city council very fast. And there's going to be a vote this week on the 26th. Um, and there's going to be a whole lot more right after it. Yeah. Uh, so... It's it, and I know we're not going to get all the information out in in the short time we have allotted. Why is this an important issue, Elaine? Well, let's just say. Can, may I start by just saying who it's important for? Okay. Um, and that would be anybody who wants to go east of the river, um, to get over to Lincoln Park or anything from Fullerton 
on down, and I'm pretty much concentrating from Fullerton down to, I don't know, let's say division. And um, so if you have, have to or want to for purposes of shopping or services or entertainment, um, get over there. You ought to worry about this. Yeah. Well, and, and we're talking about the Goose Island area. And, and for anybody who lives in the city and has traveled that way, and a lot of people bypass it because they're taking the freeway in the tra- town and they never see it. But there's a lot of people who live in the city mm-hmm. and try to get across the Chicago River, the North Branch, uh, at that area. There's a couple of, like, three bridges, and one of which got reconstructed, the North Avenue Bridge, a few years ago. That's nice. But the others are, are small. Uh, and there's this area that used to be all industrial, and if you live in the area, you know that it's been wiped pretty much clean, and this land is sitting there, and you can smell the money coming off of it right now. 760 acres of it. Yeah, and part of the issue here is that there's a lot of money to be made by developers. There's a lot. There's money to be made by ROM. There's money to be made uh, by various people, and... What I'm afraid is going to happen is that the average citizen is going to get short shrifted once again. And I think you kind of hinted at that in your story, but certainly Juanita Irizarry um, uh, uh, talks about that. She thinks it's a done deal and, and almost sighed. You could hear her sighing as she's saying that. And uh, a couple Maybe of. Maybe screaming would be more the appropriate thing. It may be. Uh, and then a couple of aldermen who are not right. very happy, like Michelle Smith from the 43rd Ward and Scott Wagesback from the 32nd Ward. They're all raising alarm bells, and yet this thing is speed. It's a it's a freight train out of control, and it's going to get passed this week, isn't it? Um, yes, it probably is. It already went through one committee. It goes through another committee tomorrow, which is the Joint Committee of Zoning and Finance, and then it's uh, on to the council floor on the 26th. And is this and passing the ordinance or the framework plan? Oh, no. The, oh, <laughs> um, I'm laughing only because if you would have been in one of the meetings, um, which was actually for the second ward, um, uh, Eleanor Gorski, from, um, who's one of the commissioners for planning, um, every time someone asked a question, her answer was, well, that's um, handled by the framework, which was passed in May. And that was a continual answer to the questions. And in fact, the framework is merely um, a listing, not a listing, but a a putting forth of concepts. There are no rules and regulations. So a statement that um, you say, well, that'll handle it, it won't. So what happens is that the developers have the opportunity to say, okay, we're going to deliver this or develop this particular um, land mass, and they go to the alderman whose that ward it sits in, and the alderman then will go through whatever process he has. Normally, that means the alderman goes to one or more community organizations in a given area ask them to look at the plans, et cetera. That doesn't mean the aldermen have to follow what those organizations say, but it supposedly puts it out there into the public space to comment on. And um, in this particular case, um, even though they had ended up with six meetings 
it was sort of a joke. Because they were. They were all on the same day. They had it, six meetings all on the same day. Well, not only that, but um, one alderman um, in the 32nd Ward of Wagaspak didn't even know about the meeting until he read it in Michelle Smith's newsletter. Ugh. And then it turned out that the space um, that they had put out in one communique, they put it out that it was going to be in uh, um, Hamlin Park, and in the other, it was to be in Holstein. And they didn't confirm that with the alderman until 3 or 3.30 <laughs> the day of the meeting. Yikes. So, and so in the he... case of Michelle Smith, um, they wanted to put her in a room that was very teeny with no air conditioning. Nice. They approved another space, but they kept the original one. So, you know, many people have said maybe this was just obfuscation so that nobody would go. And turnout was not great. Well, you know, and that's the idea. They don't want anybody to comment, so that's why they put all the meetings on the same day. They don't spread it out. It's going to be a quick vote. It's going to happen on on uh, the 26th, and then suddenly that's uh, it's a done deal, mm-hmm. and these people have their money. And it involves planned manufacturing districts, PMD. Um, the whole thing's rather Byzantine, but the thing I want to boil down to in the last two minutes here, Elaine, is open space, park space. There's there's a contention that there will be 10 acres of open space, but there's no guarantee of that, is there? No, there's no guarantee of anything. Um, so, again, it's, you know, well, it's in the framework, but that doesn't mean anything. It's all really up for grabs. <laughs> yeah, and I was reading the, the FAQ from the open house. It says... Upon repeal, the PMDs revert to their previous zoning designation. No yeah. portion of North Branch possessed a designation for public open space. Right. and But I must say public space, whether as a park, um, and, you know, just to hit that a minute, um, just because it can be said that developers are going to have to do a certain amount of open space in whatever they develop, that does not give you a contiguous mm-hmm. space for, right. for parks. Right. That's part of the problem is you can have 10 acres, and if it's spread out over yeah, it's little a, pocket parks, yeah, you know, a, yeah. a lawn, and, that is not an open space. Okay. And 10 acres for 760 uh, acres is not enough. No. Right. But I, but I also do want to stress that the other most important thing is infrastructure. They can't afford what they've got now to fix them all, and that isn't adequate. Yeah. Even, you know, no matter how you look at it, it's not adequate. And by them saying that this 10 per, uh, 70% is going to be in a fund that's really going to be able to fund that, that equation as... Yeah, well, we are just out of time here. I have to cut you off. I want people to go to my website and see your article, see a couple of articles there. It's We will talk more about this probably after it's a done deal. I want to thank everybody for being on the show. Lisa Kivaris, Allison Parker, Michelle Hoffman, and you, Elaine. Until next week, go green or... Go go home. home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, What? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. And Ariana and Ben. Woo!